last week we looked at uh, two points on how to study Scripture. First thing, you have to read the thing. Uh, if you're going to study Scripture, probably the single most important thing is, is to read it. I shared with you two principles that I try to practice in my own life and that God has used mighty in my life. Is 20 minutes a day I read the uh, Old Testament. Uh, then I read, I started in a small book and I read repetitiously. Uh, I started in uh, 1 Peter and I, I'm a little more aggressive. I read it twice a day all the way through. It's only five chapters long. And in the print in my book, it's only two pages. You just flip over. Um, so by the time I got ready to actually start preaching First uh, Peter, I had read First Peter 60 times. Now, I can't tell you verse per verse, but when it speaks of God's holiness, that we are to be holy for God is holy, I know that it's on the first page, it's in the right column, it's about halfway down. Okay, and I can't tell you what verse that is. But I know when I get in my Bible that I know exactly how to find that. When it speaks of uh, God's grace will be glorified in us, I know it's on the second page, it's in the left column, and it's right at the bottom, and it just and begins on the top of the second column. That's just by reading it. So what I encouraged them last yesterday was is that you take 20 minutes a day, you read Old Testament. Read it any way you want to. But the way I read it is I started at Genesis, and I take 20 minutes, and I read until I come to a stopping place. And then the next day I read it over. And what I've, got, I've decided is, is that I will do this with my children. Um, they tell me that I should read to my kids. So what I'll do is take that 20 minutes that I read uh, and read it to, aloud to my children. Uh, and it's just the Old Testament. In a year's time, by that 20 minutes, in a year's time, you'll have read the whole Old Testament. If you read repetitious reading, now what I'm doing next is Matthew. And I'm reading the first seven chapters of Matthew. Okay, and I just read them through. I'm not sitting here trying to decide a sermon out of it. I'm not trying to insert a grammatical error out of it or uh, interpret it, exegesis, or any of that. All I'm doing is reading it. I just read the first seven chapters. Okay? Uh, and when I have done 30 days of reading that first seven chapters, I'll read the next seven chapters. All right, so I've gone from a small book to a big book. I'll read Matthew all the way through, and in four months' time, I'll have read the whole Gospel of Matthew 30 times or in my case, 60 times, okay? All right, and then I'll go back probably in, uh, I'm either going to do Ephesians or Second uh, Peter. I'll do another small book. If By me doing that, in two and a half years, okay, in two and a half years, I will have read the Old Testament two times. I will have read the New Testament 60 times every book. So, you know, it's, it's not like it's this major, uh, you know, people say, well, if you're doing that and you're reading that, uh, you know, what if you're going to be raptured? Well, two and a half years, yeah, I may be raptured, but I may not be, too. But in two and a half years, I'll have a real good handle on what the Bible says. Uh, so I, that's part of reading it, and that was a method. Uh, the other point I brought up was interpret the Bible, and we will continue interpreting Tonight, but interpreting the Bible, uh, we need to make be very careful how the Bible is, is is taught. Okay, today we see people who read the Bible and apply the Bible, but they never interpret the Bible. This is where you get people like Joseph Smith and Mary Baker Eddy and a few of these other people. What we call cults today is because they have not interpreted the Bible. Okay, they just apply the Bible. They read the Bible. They apply the Bible. All right. We need to interpret it. 
There are errors of interpretation. Okay, um, the Tower of Babel and the loss of salvation were two points that I had brought up last week. Um, what those were is that the Jews taught that the Tower of Babel, the reason that God scattered them, and we all know the story of, of the Tower of Babel, is that the Jews taught it that the Tower of Babel, when the men were coming up the scaffolding around the tower with the bricks, they would you had to go all the way to the top with your load of bricks. If a man came down with an empty hod and fell to his death, no one cared. But if a man going up the scaffolding fell, then they lost the whole load of bricks. So they taught that the Tower of Babel was God's way of making men love each other more. Okay? The actual truth is the Tower of Babel was idolatrous, and so God punished them. All right. The other thing is that people will teach us that we lose our salvation, and it's possible to lose our salvation. Uh, they take this out of Second Peter. And <clears throat> Second Peter, the main focus of that book is false teachers. Um, here, I'll turn over to it real quick. Um, verse 20 of chapter 2. See, I've read this one too, and I knew it's Second it's Peter. It's the second page. It's all the way down at the bottom. So it's verse 20 of chapter 2. If they escape the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off in the end than they were in the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned back their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Okay, they. This is taught that this is possible to lose your salvation. If, okay, they say, it says here, if they escape, meaning that if they were saved and they turn back to their sins, then they've lost their salvation. The key to this passage of Scripture is if they, okay? Look at verse the verse 1 of chapter 2. All right, he hasn't changed what he's talking about. He says, but there are also false prophets among the people. So they... Losing their salvation were false prophets and they never had to start with. Okay? So you can't lose your salvation. False prophets cannot lose something they never had. All right? So this is why I'm, errors in interpretation. Uh, the other point was avoid superficial inter interpretations. Okay? Don't just skim it. Get into it. Read the thing. Know what it says. Superficial interpretation is when you take a group of people... We call it a Bible study or a fellowship group or whatever you want. And you take a passage of Scripture and everybody gives their opinion on it. I think it means this. I think it means this. I think it means this. This is why God has graced us with teachers. All right? Because they have, are accountable to God for what they teach. And they have to be in the Scripture. And that way it does away from opinions are like people. Everybody's got one. And everyone is different. Okay? So don't be superficial with Scripture. Don't spiritualize Scripture. I heard a message that was preached one time. There was in Acts, you'll read that Paul was in a tempest and his ship was getting ready to go aground. They threw four anchors overboard to, to hold the ship and the guy preached the message and it was called the four spiritual anchors, love, joy, peace, and hope. And he used that passage of scripture. Well, I hate to tell you this, that passage of scripture is dealing with four pieces of iron that hold ships. There's nothing spiritual about it. It is basically a safety mechanism for the ship. Okay, uh, John MacArthur's first message, we all know John MacArthur or have heard him. His first message was how to roll the boulders out of your life. 
of, of your spiritual walk. Okay, and the passage of scripture that he used in that message was when the angel moved the stone in front of Jesus' grave. Well, that has nothing to do with spiritual boulders. That angel moved a rock. There's nothing spiritual about it. And, of course, he was corrected on it. So we've got to make sure we don't over-spiritualize Scripture. All right? uh, sources of interpretation. We need to be aware of the language. Okay? The two books I recommended were Zodiades, uh Greek Dictionary and uh, Strong's Concordance. Because if you have those, will give you a flair for the Hebrew language and the Greek language. And you need to know some of the different terminologies that the Greeks and the Hebrews use. Also need to know culture. Uh, one of the great things that if God graces me, I would like to teach the book of Matthew. One of the things that I have kind of done on the side here is study Jewish traditions because Matthew was a Jew. And if I'm going to teach the book of Matthew, I need to know, I need to look at it from a Jewish mentality. I need to know what the Jews were looking at and what the Jews thought. Okay, so geography, because when it says you go down to Jericho, guess what? You go down to Jericho. When you go up to Jerusalem, guess what? You go up to Jerusalem. It is a high plateau. Um, when Lazarus was raised from the grave, they said with, instantly Jerusalem knew about it. Well, how's come? They didn't have telephone. Well, Bethany is only about a mile and a half from the inner court of the temple. That's how it's come. They knew so quick. When you raise somebody from the dead, word spreads really quick. Okay. All right, and history, right, and history was the other point. You need to know history. Uh, one of the greatest things that has graced me in my ministry is, is that I'm a history buff, and a lot of the things that I see in the scriptures now, I knew about. Um, I wrote report after report on the Roman Empire, and I wrote report after report about this man named Pilate and this place uh, in Judea, which was the armpit of the world. If you were sent as a governor by the Roman Empire to Judea, you, were, you have offended somebody. Because it would be, uh, if you were in the military and they said, we're going to station you at the North Pole, basically that's what would happen to you if you were stationed in Judea. Okay? Judea had these people who dressed funny. They were zealots. Uh, they were big in terrorism. Uh, they would just attack leaders. Uh, even their own leaders. Uh, if you look through the disciples that were listed, it talks about one of them being a zealot. You know what that was? Terrorist. We call them terrorists today, meaning that, you know, you're a Pharisee, you have embraced the Roman gods, and they run up behind him and stab him, kill him dead at 4 o'clock. So, but see, I, learned, I knew all that before I even got into Scripture because I had studied history. Okay, so tonight I want to look at real quick, again, another part of interpreting the Bible. Okay? Uh, you'll see there that I have literal principle, a historical principle, a grammatical principle, synthesis principle, and practical principle. Okay, literal principles. There are things in the Bible that you take literally. It's a normal speaking language. All right, symbols are normal parts of the Jewish and Greek language. All right, I will give you a for instance. When we are studying the apocalyptic books, uh, whether it be uh, Zechariah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation. Uh, and I'm going to start right here in uh, Revelations 8, verse 7. Okay? Um, it says, The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads wore something like crowns of gold. 
and their faces resembled human faces. The hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and, and stings like scorpions, and their tails were, and in their tails was the power to torment people for five months. Okay? I don't know what that is. I have not seen one of these bugs. Okay? And I'm thankful. Okay? But this is a literal passage of scripture. Okay? We have to take this for what it is. The key to this passage of scripture is, is that this thing, whatever it is, or whatever they are, is going to torment humanity for five months. That's the basis. I mean, you can try to understand what this is, but it is going to torment humanity for five months. So you take it literally. Okay? And, and, but see, we try to get into our mind, well, is this like a Steven Spielberg movie or what? And the point that we miss is five months of torment. Okay? They're not allowed to touch the trees or the grass. Uh, they're not allowed to kill you. But they sure are going to make you miserable. All right, so this is just something that we need to understand is that it's a literal truth. It's in the normal sense. Okay, uh, I'll give you an example of how this goes operate, opposite. Okay, and this is something we're seeing really heavy today. There's a book called the Talmud, all right, and it's Jewish traditions, it's rabbinical teachings, uh, ceremonies, and traditions. Okay, uh, the rabbis teach <clears throat> you take the consonants from Abraham's name. Okay which would be, what, B-R-M, or, yeah, B-R-H-M, okay? You take those, when you add them together out of the Hebrew alphabet, you come up with the number 318, okay? Out of the Hebrew alphabet, don't try to do it with the English, I already tried it, and I'm like, how do you get 318 out of this, all right? But the Hebrew alphabet, you take the consonants out of Abraham's name, you come up with 318. That's how many servants he had, okay? And that's what they teach. Now, that's not literal. Today I see a book out that a lady has written, and she takes the New International Version Bible and the New American Standard Bible. Okay, and she has a mathematical calculation that when you take both of these translations and you put this equation that she has to, these, to the words New American Standard Bible, you come up with sin. And God is warning us that the New American Standard Bible and the NIV Bible are sinful books. Okay? That's not literal. There is a lady who has gone through and has taken the Psalms and gotten an alphabetical numerical number situation and she says that by this she can show us when the end times are. Wait a minute. The book of Psalms is a book of praise. I mean, that's all it is. Uh, so, right. So, see what I'm sharing with you is, is that this is how ridiculous it gets. Uh, don't, there are people out there saying that you take this passage of scripture and a certain amount of consonants and a certain amount of vowels and you add this math formula to it, you're going to get this deep secret meaning. That's a lie. Take it for what it is. Okay. I don't know what a locust that looks like a horse is. And I pray to a merciful God that he don't show me. Okay. But there is coming a time there's going to be some really nasty bugs running around here, but they're only going to be around here for five months. Okay, I don't know what it means when it says a third of the, the, the stars roll up like a shade. I don't know what that means. Uh, I know there's an angel flying around going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now I know what that means. I can relate to that angel. 
But I don't know what that sky means when it rolls up. But God says it's literal and it's going to roll up. So it's going to roll up. Okay. So don't look for deep secrets. All right. Uh, a tremendous passage of scripture that you can always hold on to is Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. And, and I'll share with you that in a minute. But you hang on to that one because uh, that is a good passage of scripture whenever you start trying to figure out what locusts that look like horses and hairs like women and teeth like lion are. Okay. Okay. The other thing, historical principles. What does it mean to the people who spoke it and wrote it? Okay. New Testament. We have a Gentile writer amongst a whole bunch of Jews. Okay. We need to be aware of that. Uh, Luke and Acts was written by a Gentile. Okay. But you also have Matthew who was a zealot. Okay. Uh, but Jewish heritage. Read uh, the writings of Paul. When Paul tells me that he was a Pharisee of Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, look how he quotes the Old Testament. If you know people are coming around saying, "Well, how do you witness to Jewish people? Uh, how would you try to win a Jew to Christ?" Read Paul's writings, because Paul's preaching to Jews at times, and when he preaches to Jews at times, he takes their Bible. It says, here's what it says. Okay, so historically, we have to know what it is. If you've got a text without a context, all you have is a pretext. Okay, and if you don't know what to mean, you know, I always ask myself, why do we have four Gospels? Why, do, why have we got four books that give the life and time of Jesus Christ? You know, and I never, and it took me a long time to understand that. But I got one who wrote about him in a human manner as a Gentile. I got one who wrote about him as a human man from a Jew, and I got the other two wrote him as king, king of kings, lord of lords. Okay, that's why there's four of them. All right, you got a Gentile version of a man who was God, you got a Jewish version of a man who was God, then you got two other guys who wrote him and says, "This is like God, God." Okay, so this is why we have four different. This is why we need to keep a historical context and realize why we're why things were written. Grammatical. I was not very good at English when I was in school at all. But I have learned uh, a tremendous appreciation for um, prepositions, uh, verbs, adverbs, nouns, and pronouns. Uh, it's really amazing, uh, especially in the Greek language, uh, how those buggers use them things. But... Uh, <laughs> a good instance... Matthew 28, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, we've all memorized it, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. Uh, we've heard it, and it's called the Great Commission. Okay. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, do you know what's amazing about that? There's only one verb in there. Now, the English says that there isn't. The Greek says there is but one verb in there. Right? And that one verb is um, make disciples. Okay? Well, what about the baptizing and the teaching and the going? Those are prepositions in the Greek. They modify the verb. Okay? The one principle that we are to do make disciples, make students of, the, of Scripture, students of Jesus Christ. In the process, we are going to be going, 
and we will be baptizing our students, and we will be teaching our students. Okay? You see, that's an interesting thing that we don't really pay attention to because we just look at it and we say, well, look at all the verbs in here. I need to be outgoing. I need to be baptizing. And, it, and it's not what it says. It says you need to be making disciples. And as you are making disciples, you will baptize them and you will be going and you will be teaching. Okay? So that's uh, grammatical principle is something that we need to keep in mind is that um, there are times that when you're studying scripture, uh, it is nice to know uh, what the author is really writing about. Okay? Um, when you realize that in that case that I am to make disciples and as I am going I will be baptizing and teaching it adds a whole new fullness to the, what the Great Commission truly is Okay, so many times we like to spend our time going or spend our time baptizing and we don't tend to spend time discipling Okay, uh, the other verse that we probably have heard is Matthew 18 okay uh, two or more gathered together in my name, I am there with you. Well, guess what? When I'm in my prayer closet, he's there with me. Okay? But in a gr grammatical sense, when you study that through and understand the context that he's talking about, he's talking about church discipline. Okay? He's saying that if you have a brother and you have two or three witnesses who have seen this brother sin, uh, and you're going to cast him out and he doesn't want to repent, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to support you in that decision. Okay, so when you understand how the sentence is broken down, what the verbs and the adjectives are, then you understand what he's talking about. It doesn't have anything to do with praying. Okay, because God says, go to your uh, closet and pray in private, and God and the Father in heaven will reward you openly. Well, it doesn't say me and three other guys going to my closet and pray. Okay, so this is something we need to understand. Um, <clears throat> studying the text. Okay, as, as grammatical system, you want to study the complete text. Um, we've read that, or some of us may have read the text in uh, Hebrews 12, where it talks about you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Early in my walk, uh, I felt like maybe I was at uh, on the show somewhere. You know, I've got all these people in verse uh, chapter 11, you know, Moses and Enoch and Samson and all these people, great, tremendous uh uh, scholars of the faith who fought and, and stood firm on God and, and God used in my ways. And I got all these people sitting here criticizing me or watching me stumble through this life. Okay. When you study the text. Okay. And one of the things, one of the keys that we have to remember about our Bibles is each book is a letter. It is a pinned down letter. I mean, we've got chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and verse this, that, and the other. And I'm almost at times think that this hinders people, okay? Because when I read through them now, and early in my walk, what I did is I would take and rewrite the Bible and write it as a letter, okay? And then I read it as a letter in the context that it was written. So many times you'll get a Bible and it'll have a little short pair, uh, title in between the paragraphs. And I'm not saying that the guy who wrote that is wrong, but sometimes we'll break it up and all of a sudden we miss the thought that the, the author is trying to get across to us, which is very similar in Hebrews 11 and 12. When you read the letter to Hebrews, there is no 11th chapter and 12th chapter. He's still in the same thought. He's speaking of the cloud of witnesses, meaning that these people's testimony is an example to us. This is the cloud of witnesses. And, you know, we like to, uh, one of the things that I've been, you know, trying to struggle with in my own walk is that Peter and Paul 
and John and Barnabas and Silas and Abram and Samson and all the rest, they were no different than me and you. They were absolutely no different than me and you. Their faith was stronger. But they're no different. And when you take someone like Peter or the New Testament where you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that indwelled Paul indwells me, indwells you. And this is something that we need to keep in mind. So as you study from the grammar sense of it, keep in mind that it's a letter. And if you start struggling as you're reading through and you can't struggle through, do like I did. Just rewrite the book. I mean, it sounds like a pain, but when I tell you that this is the Word of God that's fallen out of heaven, um, don't ever think you haven't got enough time for it because you're already in trouble. Okay? All right. Synthesis. That's hard for me to say. My mouth's getting dry. Principle. Okay? This comes from early church scholars. Okay? And it basically says all Scripture will come together. I shared this last week that when you see Jesus quoting things, he quotes the Old Testament. And, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, were mad at him because he was quoting what they supposedly should have known. And he was explaining to them um, the scriptures. All right. All scripture comes together. This is why I encouraged uh, last Wednesday night that you take and you read, spend 20 minutes to read the Old Testament. You repetitiously read the New Testament. The reason is, is that the New Testament is the church age. Okay, Colossians talks about it, that you need to be in ground in the prophecies of this new re- revelation that the Old Testament prophets didn't know about. But you need to know the Old Testament so that you know the mentality of the people who wrote to you and you know that God is unchangeable. What stood 6,000 years ago stands today. All right. So what happens is when you're reading the Old Testament and you're reading the New Testament, you all of a sudden start finding correlations between the two. And this is where all of a sudden it starts making sense. There will be points brought out. Um, example. Two weeks, three weeks ago, something like that, I preached on foreknowledge. Okay? I have wrestled with foreknowledge till the cows came home and just had a heck of a time with it. Okay? But I finally started getting Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, and it became very clear to me, very evident to me, what chosen predestination meant. Okay? That's a good... Uh, Good way to look at it. Uh, another thing to keep in mind, in 1 Corinthians 15, 29, Paul speaks of the baptism for the dead. Okay? Uh, and it makes a statement in the Corinthian church that uh, why would you be baptized for the dead? Okay? There are those teaching today that if you have a loved one who dies, if you get baptized, they will be saved. All right? Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Nowhere in Scripture, the doctrine of salvation does it say that. And the doctrine of salvation, it doesn't even say you have to be baptized. Okay? Salvation does not come by water immersion. Alright? But see, there are people, and there are people who are taking, uh, and the charismatic will take passages out of Corinthians and say, this is why I pray in tongues. Alright? First thing I think of is the letter to the first Corinthians church is a letter of rebuke. Paul is mad at these people. He's saying, you're acting carnal. You're acting like your old self. All right. Why would I want to do anything in that book? Paul's warning against it. Paul don't want you to be like that book. But yet I see people out chasing saying they want to be like them people in Corinthians. And I'm like, but Paul was mad at him. 
And, it, you know, to the point that in First Corinthians, you know, you have your mother-in-law die and you go and get baptized and you saved her dead carcass. And, and uh, you know, in tongues and miracles and all the rest of it. But I look at the letter of Corinthians. When I hear a man, someone want to validate to me something from Corinthians, the first thing I think of is a letter of rebuke. So why do I want to be like that? Okay. All right. Practical principle. All right. Now, people are going to sit there and you may be thinking literal, historical, grammatical and synthesis. Uh, what is he talking about? Let's get to the practical. When you do the first four, the fifth falls into place. Okay, the Bible will become practical. Um, it will give you a spiritual principle that will discern your life and what problems you are dealing with. Um, in in my walk, when I study Scripture and 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 in this format, and I take it literal, historical, grammatical, and the, how the Scripture all validates itself then Scripture becomes very practical to me. And this is something that I would encourage uh, uh, you to look at. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on practical because you need to be doing the other four and then you will find out in your life that practical is very easy. Okay, meditating on the Bible, point two. Okay, meditating on the Bible is not sitting with my legs crossed and incense burning um, and hoping that I'm going to remember something, okay? Meditating on the Bible, uh, the easiest way for me to describe it would be in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your house and on your gates. That's meditating on the Word. Absolutely meditating on the Word. I have a very wonderful relationship with my mother. Uh, I would pray that everyone could have a relationship with their parents the way that I have with mine because uh, iron sharpens iron and me and my mother uh, do not talk uh, about anything of the world. We have the, usually the first five minutes or four minutes or so, we discuss uh, she's got more humidity than I do, and then we immediately go into what she is being taught, what I am studying, I am being taught. And that is it. I have found in my days here in the last two years or so that my conversations to anybody will always go God-based. And if it is not God-based, I probably don't have very much to say. I had opportunity last night at the softball game to go over to Village, or not Village Inn, Pizza Hut, and sit around and have Cokes, and everyone wanted to uh, discuss things with me, and it came to light that uh, I was working on my Master's of Theology, and they all began apologizing to me for cussing. And uh, I said, um, you know, I used to be an electrical contractor, I used to be a general contractor, I used to be a... Uh, drug dealer. I really don't think you're going to embarrass me by profanity. Um, and as they went on, there was questions of how about, what about, what about, and it was very easy for me to defend my faith, uh, whether it be evolution, uh, whether it be the Big Bang Theory, whether it be, uh, is there a God? Uh, there was an atheist there, and I brought up the point right away that uh, if 
you're so sure there's not a God, then that means you have to have all knowledge. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, for you to sit and make a statement that there is no God, then you have to know everything. I mean, if, if for you to make the statement that you are, there is not a God, that means you have to have all knowing, which would make you God. So it, it was an interesting conversation. Um, but uh, the thing is, is that in my heart and in my life, people say, I see change. And the reason you see change is that I meditate on the Word. I mean, the fact that I can get this book yesterday and read it through, which uh, I did have not taken the Evelyn Woodard speed reading or anything like this. I just stayed awake till about 2 o'clock last night reading this because it was just a really good book. Uh, I don't like to read. I have very poor study habits. But when it comes to God, uh, I can ramble on. And, uh, and this is what uh, meditating on the Word is. Uh, the other thing is, is teach the Bible. The reason that Scripture, uh, I have become relatively hungry for it, is that it fills my life. I mean, in essence, it is my life. Okay, the reason that I have is because I've interpreted the Bible. I have a hunger for the Bible. Uh, I, I see a calling for me in the Bible. Uh, and and, and there's, there's a tremendous zeal for me. I can't get enough. Okay, I, I just cannot get enough scripture. Uh, Psalms 1.1, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and his, uh, in the Lord's law, med he meditates on day and night. Okay, um, I'm not saying that I'm in deep meditation or anything like that, but um, I, I rejoice in the scriptures. I have found myself that I... I'm, uh, I'm, I like sports, but I'm finding that, uh, and I like, I like Rush Limbaugh, but I'm finding that uh, it's not as rewarding, okay? Although Rush does give me good uh, references for messages. But anyway, um, the thing is, is that uh, you got to meditate on it. You got to hide it. You got to be immersed in it. And when you're immersed in it, you grow in it and you can start defending yourself, uh, Two years ago, if somebody wanted to get into something over an atheist or a Mormon or whatever, um, I wouldn't have said anything. But it was just immersing myself in the Word. You know, I, I don't listen to any music. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I love rock and roll music and folk rock and all the rest. I don't listen to it anymore. All right? I listen to Christian music, purely. And if I don't listen to Christian music, I don't listen to anything. All right? The reason is I want to be immersed in it. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, okay? Uh, but the thing is, is that I'm challenging you people to do what I've done. Because like Paul said in Philippians, what you've heard from me and what you've learned from me and what you see in me, you do these things. If you see a change in me, this is why. Okay, and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit puts a desire for me to study. The Holy Spirit, you know, and I, and I brought this up last night at this, these people. Because uh, the one gentleman, uh, my dad's an ordained minister. That's good. That's good. Uh, and I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, if the Bible is what it says it is, how can you not be in it cover to cover? Because if it's really what it says it is, uh, what more is there in life? Because you're not talking about you know, some man's teaching. You're talking about God. And, and I said, uh, you know, it hurts me to see Christians. Um, you know, I, I don't understand... Why we don't carry our Bibles everywhere? If you're not very good with it, you need to carry it with you. 
you, know, you need to be protected. And, and yet, you know, and, and there was good questions last night. Uh, and, and there's no doubt in my mind that God used that evening to, uh, to uh, plant seeds and uh, blast rock and all the other wonderful things that we do as Christians. Okay, the last one is teach the Bible. Okay, probably the greatest single thing that I have done, and if, if you look at the ministry that I've had here in this fellowship, uh, I began with the youth, uh, and then I moved to the adult class, and now I'm here. Okay, all right, but my greatest, greatest growth is in teaching it. Okay, prior to going to youth class, I was teaching a Bible study outside of the church. Okay, but I was teaching it. Okay, the reason is, I learn it well enough to teach it. Again, foreknowledge, all right? That's hard. That is extremely hard. And I shared with the elders, you know, going into Thursday, the week before that message on election, uh, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't have a clue. I'm like, Lord, how in the world do I teach something that I have no grasp of? And uh, what happened is, is uh, all of a sudden it came clear. And I rejoiced in it. And I knew, you know, Willie brought up the point. He says, you cannot take three years that you have been ground in the word and 50 hours that you put in on just the one subject of foreknowledge and expect to teach these people in 45 minutes and them understand. And I said, well, you're right. So I didn't take it personally. All right. But the things when you learn it well enough to teach it, then you will not lose it. OK, when you have learned that, that you can teach it, then you will not learn the principle that you've learned. OK. Okay. Uh, the other thing is, is that for me, you're my spiritual strength. Did you know that? When you come in here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday, when the guy who's up here preaching, whoever it is, the people who are sitting out there is, is his spiritual strength. Because it's you out there that force me to know what I'm saying. It is you out there that forced me to be prepared. It is you out there that forced me to know what the Greek is, what the prepositions are, what the verbs are, what the context is, what the book was written about, and, and the author. Okay? You're my spiritual strength. When Al was here, we were his spiritual strength. Because we are, you force us to dig. You know, and I, and I shared this with the uh, elders Sunday night. My biggest problem right now is, is I get so much that I have to kind of sift through it so I don't give it all to you. My wife calls it, uh, my wife has to deal with me all week long and she calls them shotgun, minis- uh, shotgun sermons. I basically blast her with everything I learned. There's no context, there's no flow, there's no points. It's just, did you know what I found? Look here what I found. Look at this. Did you know what this means? Look at this. Here, look at it. And so it drives her nuts. But I, you know, that's part of her responsibility. She can just look at me and say, should it? Okay. Uh, it's very easy to take something difficult and make it difficult to understand. Okay? I have heard sermons that were preached, and I said, boy, I didn't get nothing out of that. I didn't understand any of that. Then you go up and talk to the man afterwards, and you realize he didn't understand anything either. Okay? That's not what a teacher's been called to. You know, my week goes long, and my, what my wife calls the shotgun messages is my way of getting it down so I can give you points so I can edify you, all right? Uh, you know, I can take any given, what I'm finding, any given passage of Scripture, I can wander off and, and just take a wonderful trip this way or a wonderful trip this way or come back around this way, and so you can't do that. I only have 45 minutes, 
or you know, 50 every once in a while. Okay, so it's harder to be clear because when, when you're clear with the message, it means you've mastered the subject. And and I noticed that in in the tapes of my messages, the ones that I really knew are the ones that when I listen to them say, I knew what I was talking about. Uh, The other ones, when I'm kind of tentative through them, I wasn't really sure on the subject. Okay, so if you see me tentative, then you'll know I'm not sure on the subject. (laughs) All right. When you feed someone else, then you understand motivation. And I'm not saying that everybody has to have a, a Sunday school class. Uh, I feed my wife. I feed my kids. Uh, Ed calls me. I feed him. Anybody wants to talk to me, I'll feed you. All right? And depending on where you're at is what I'll feed you. All right? And it, that's, that's the thing. As you keep, when it says iron sharpens iron, that means you're teaching and you're receiving teaching. Okay? And they both come back together. And it, that will increase you spiritually. All right? So you, you need to be teaching. You need to be sharing. Share it with your spouse. Share it with your co-workers. Look, did you know what I found? Look here what I found. You know what holiness means? Uh, do you know, understand what predestination really is? Uh, do you understand the preciousness of salvation? Look at this. Peter is talking about that the Old Testament prophets had looked with this diligently. See, I can remember what I preached on Sunday night because that left an impact on me. I understand what salvation is, what the greatness of salvation is. I mean, this man writes 12 verses of high-impact, deep theology, and it's all based on salvation. And if this man walked with Christ, even walked on water with Christ, seen him resurrected from the day, and his main focus in life is salvation, I had better have my focus the way Peter's got his focus. Okay? All right. We are not, we don't study the Bible to gain knowledge. Don't ever fall into that trap. Okay, uh, I started to get into that about Christmas last year, and God took me down to uh, City and County of Denver to see my brother and remind me where it was uh, I had come from. And uh, I said, okay, I understand. I get the message. Okay, but we do not study Scripture for knowledge. I don't study Scripture for wisdom. Okay, I study Scripture to know God. All right, and that's what we've been called to. All right, you don't study it because you want to be smart. You don't study, well, that's going to make me wise. Okay, you're going to study Scripture so you know God. Because when you know God, you, have you heard that song? And I know Al, Al would cringe if you heard me say this. But that one song that says that when I leave, I want to be so close that there's no big change in my life. Okay, it's a Christian song. I'm not basing my theology on music, but... There's a song out there, and I can't remember the guy who sings it. He says, but I want my life to be so close to Christ that when I, he calls me home, there's no big change. Okay? And, and I thought about that. I thought, that's good. That's good. So that's why my motivation for Scripture is I want to know who God is because I, God has graced me at this time with an opportunity to teach. All right? And, and if I'm getting a real good handle on who God is, guess what? You're going to be getting a real good handle on who God is because I'm going to teach it. I'm really funny that way. I just can't keep my mouth shut. All right. The other thing is that Deuteronomy 29, 29, one of the greatest passages of scriptures that there is. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Okay. There are things, when it talks about bugs that look like horses, there are things that says, where did sin come from? Uh, There are things uh, that he doesn't want us to know. All right, and he was so adamant about it that he tells me in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, the secret things 
belong to the Lord our God. Okay, so when you hear Pastor Al tell you that the Scripture is not all wisdom of God, because the secret things belong to God. And if you read just before, therefore the laws anger burn against the land, and so they brought <clears throat> brought it all on the curses written in this book. It's furious anger, and in the great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land as it is now. Okay. Now, why did God do that? Because secret things belong to God. God's ways are not our ways. Um, and he'll have mercy on whom he has mercy. And there are things. Uh, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. Okay? So let us remember these things. Uh, I hope that uh, you get an encouragement out of this. Um, I know it was good for me to uh, go back through it to refresh my mind on some of the principles that... Uh, I tend to be a little lacking in, um, but uh, I hope, if anything, man, make it hunger in your heart, you know, and that's one of the things I've, I'm, I've started praying for everybody in this church, and I want them to have hunger, uh, and, and I don't want everybody to say, well, I'm going to get real smart, or I'm going to get real, I want them to know who God is, you know, two things that I have learned from, from the Bible that I can, in my life, that I can grab a hold of, and, and it my studies in First Peter have really brought into focus. I know what grace is. And I know what mercy is. And um, those are two of his, his greatest attributes. Um, but he had to, to really uh, um, show me uh, what both of those were. Uh, I want to know the rest of them. Okay, and if, I think that if we each look back in our lives, we'll see that there are some attributes that God has made very, very clear to us uh, and that we uh, can sometimes grab a hold of. Uh, as you study the scriptures, and if you, if you get into a pattern, or whatever you do, just make sure you get into the book. Okay, and you know, these are the ones that have helped me. Um, but whatever you do, get into the book, and as you get into the book, you'll start realizing who God is. Because that's what we've been called to. When we study the scripture, it is not for self-glorification. Because when you study the scripture, you will learn humility. I mean, if when I studied foreknowledge and struggled with it, one of the first things that I grabbed a hold of was how humiliating I really am and how humbling foreknowledge really is. And, and, and then uh, from there, it just goes on. So... Uh, I hope it's an encouragement, and then uh, let's close in prayer. Gracious, loving Father, I praise you for your written word, and I praise you for how it speaks, teaches, edifies, rebukes, confronts. Father, I pray that we never take each other for granted, and I pray that uh, there will be a zeal uh, in this membership, this fellowship of the body of, uh, of our Lord and Savior that uh, for a hunger to know you, to know who you really are, uh, to to the best of our feeble, sinful, uh, depraved minds can grasp. Uh, Father, speak to us through your word. Continue to grow us and mold us in the likeness of your Son. Father, for those who are not here tonight, Father, I pray that uh, you will comfort them. I pray that uh, you will instill in them a hunger for your truths. Uh, Father, protect uh, Willie as he travels. Uh, Father, I pray that... Uh, for blessings on this fellowship. And I pray, Father, that uh, uh, we don't fall into uh, apathy. I pray that we don't fall into the loss of our first love. Father, instill in this fellowship uh, the remembrance of our first love. 
Uh, Father, bring us back to prayer and Scripture. All things are possible through you, Lord, and we pray these things humbly, uh, knowing that uh, your ways are not our ways. And Father, I pray that each of us will walk worthy, and that, Father, we'll seek the wisdom and the knowledge that uh, you give us from your words. In your Son's precious name, amen.